Welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast. <laughs> Sorry, I'll take that again. <laughs> I can do it if you like. Well, hello and welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic of all time, one issue at a time. My name's John and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And my name's PJ and I have so many <laughs> hidden depths you would not believe. <laughs> you know, I'm tempted just to run with that one. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of impressive, really. I like. I, I guess I was patting myself on, my, on the back the other um, the other week, and that may have doomed myself because I was just saying, like, oh yeah, I can totally get through the intro now without a script. Uh, and then I panicked, and I brought up my script, and I still said it wrong. So <laughs> I don't really know what to make of that. Thank, thank you, PJ, for saving it. You're welcome. We're lucky I made it through that. I've never tried before, so <laughs> it was quite it was quite impressive, actually. Yeah, it's funny. I guess it's like riding a bike. If I hadn't thought about it, it probably would have just breezed through okay yeah yeah i haven't tried riding a bike for a number of years to be honest so worried what would happen if i did well uh if we uh if we all if it all goes to schedule by the time we finish this episode i would be hopping on a bike and uh heading out to uh to uh, an evening engagement Ooh, you're so fancy Go yeah ahead. you're going out at like 8 p.m that feels late to me it <laughs> that's is, how old yeah. i am I know, I know, it really is, um, and I'm making, I'm making it sound more grand than it is. I would be off to my martial arts session, uh, and um, yeah, it used to be at like years ago. It was like at kind of half six, and now mm. it's, in that, and then due to where, where, where on earth could we get a room to do it in? It's now like <laughs> half eight till ten on a Monday, which does feel a, a little late for my, my my elderly bones, but yeah. I'm making it work. Yes. Speaking of elderly bones, I have to, when I'm sat at my desk at work now, I have to use my right foot to roll a tennis ball around under my foot or my knee starts to hurt. Oh, grief. Yeah. <laughs> I was there for ages going, why is my knee hurting? And my mum went to me, it's because you're old, start rolling a tennis ball around. And I'm annoyed that she was right, to be honest. Yeah, so. yeah I'm um, I'm not ashamed to say that I have a, a micro, not quite a tennis ball, but like a, a hard rubber, tiny football which mm. which I use to the same the same end. <laughs> now, do you think there's any correlation between uh, having kind of aching body parts and 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 being a fan of a um, what twenty year old uh, uh, comic series, PJ? Yes. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure the two things are completely unrelated. <laughs> um, but of course, as as our comics kind of suggest, it is it is another evening recording. Oh, although yeah. probably for the first time that we've done an evening recording, I'm not drinking alcohol. I I am not either, but I, I haven't done this podcast drunk yet, so... 
I mean, you'd have to be mad to do it sober, I've often thought. <laughs> I wish I'd been drunk for some of DC 1 million, but, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe we were. Maybe we um, we did actually do some of the tie-in issues, and it's all just kind of slipped into a fugue. We have no, we have no memory of it at all. Um, but... I guess uh, can I can I can I ring together a uh, a segue here? I guess I could say, going from uh, a potentially overlong mini event to a perfectly concise single issue. Where are we this week, PJ? We are looking at JLA issue twenty-seven, and. I, I do want to start with the cover because I love this cover and I'm a little bit sad that the trade doesn't reprint it properly. How do they not reprint it properly? So the cover image in the trade, and I presume yours is the same, is an image of uh, Amazo, 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 <laughs> Amazo, however, <laughs> standing over the bodies of not just our favourite JLA members, but a lot of other superheroes as well. Superman's on fire. The whole, the whole thing's on fire, to be honest. He's got Superman's tattered cape in his hand and he's pointing out of the comic and, and snarling. That's what's in this book. I used to have the actual issue that this, uh, the, the single floppy issue that this comic uh, is reprinted really? from. And oh, on wow. the cover there, Amazon is talking to us. He has two speech bubbles, one of which is your normal speech bubble, in which he says, I've just beaten the world's greatest superheroes. And then the next one is one of those jagged, shouty speech bubbles where he's saying, how are you going to stop me? And I'm that, sad that that's not on here on the book, because I kind of love it. That is sad. That is a, that is, for lack of a better word, a very comic, comic cover. Yes. Shall we say, it's pure, it's pure comics nonsense. Um... I'm actually kind of amazed that whoever assembled this particular trade paperback edition had a layered version of the cover artwork that didn't have the titles included. Well, it, it's all, all, yeah, all the cover artwork reprints, they don't have the logos, the numbers, uh, issue numbers or anything like that. So I'm guessing those speech bubbles were on the same layer as those and they didn't want to put the work in to <laughs> have them on there. So we just get the lovely Howard Porter artwork. I know, I wish, I just, I kind of, I do cast my mind back. I mean, what, um, this original issue came out in 99. Mm. Uh, this, the trade paperback we're both reading from is, um, it's the Titan edition, which was just, just for UK? Mine, mine's the DC Comics edition. Interesting. What is mine? What on earth am I looking at? Oh, no, weird. Okay, so here's the thing. Mine is the DC Comics edition. It says DC Comics on the spine. And then on the back, I've still got the original UK sticker that has the price and barcode on it. And that says Titan Books eight ninety nine. So I think in this instance with my copy, Titan just got a load of the US books and slapped a sticker on the back. Okay. But either way, I guess, I, guess, I think this trade paperback, if the dates are correct on the inner cover, came out... 1999 so it actually came out the same year would that be possible yeah if this came out towards the end of the year because the issue itself would have been mid year yeah i'm actually trying to think because yeah because if you if the upcoming issues which are collected in uh justice for all the book we're holding would have finished in September 99. So it's entirely possible they were able to get it out before the end of the year. Yeah, if the uh, the DC wiki that I'm on now says this issue was March 99. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 that would make sense, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I guess it is possible. I, but I, I do cast my mind back to, like, 1999, and obviously a young John knew nothing about Photoshop or InDesign. <laughs> I, I have to say I'm not even sure if they were the leading programs at the time for assembling this sort of thing. Mm. But uh, I do love the very, what looks to me like the very, very, very rudimentary Photoshop work which is done in assembling this book or these books in general. Like, you remember some of the glorious kind of um, 3D comp- uh, composite uh, uh, issue titles we used to get? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and now I'm just looking at this and it's like all the editorial pages in this trade, they use a lot of um, outer glow effects. Yes, yeah, because the cover, they don't reprint it full page. It's it's like, I'd say maybe, I don't know, two-thirds of the page, maybe a little less sort of at an angle in the middle of a black page, and then you've got the issue title above it as well. <laughs> it is kind of amazing, and it, it gives me a little hope, actually, because I, I kind of feel that the actual um, book design work is kind of on a par with my very first attempts at Photoshop, which sounds like a, I, I don't want to, I don't want to um, insult anyone who put this book together, but I imagine that DC was having to put out a lot of trades at the time, yeah. so they weren't exactly reinventing the wheel when it comes to like page layout and it's, stuff. It's very functional, isn't it? It's just, they're <laughs> sticking the comic in, and then they'll have one page with uh, all the covers for that particular story. In this instance, it's a, a one-shot story, so that's why we get one cover to the page. But yeah, like Crisis Times 5, shortly, all four issues of that, the covers all appear on the one black page in the trade. The, um, do you know what I learned the other day, PJ? And I don't believe I've brought this up on uh, the podcast, so do do kick me if I have. But I'm currently trying to work out the logistics of printing um, a really big hardback collected edition of Afterlife Inc. And it's, you know, it's, it's a lot to get my head around. Hmm. And somebody who's a little deeper in the kind of printing and distribution industry than I am told me about a process called gang printing which is something i wasn't aware of so which is where if you have multiple orders for multiple books with different content depending on the printer who's doing the manufacturing you can get a discount if every book is exactly the same size page count dimensions paper quality and that is why apparently all image trades work to a very strict formula in terms of page count. And I did not know that. That kind of blew my mind. No, me neither. Me neither. I haven't looked at a physical image trade for a long time. I've bought them digitally. And now I'm actually thinking back to the first image trades I bought, and they were some Spawn ones that I think were actually published by Titan. I'm sure Titan had the image license in the UK for a while. Titan's a really weird beast, isn't mm. it? Because like, they they have a lot of um, like uh, licensed properties, don't they? Because they do they do do original comics as well, particularly in the last kind of ten years. Yeah, I think they only really started doing original content, as you say, fairly recently when they launched their original Doctor Who comics. Because up till mm. then they'd been you had the the UK Marvel uh, Panini editions where you had the cardstock cover and then they'd reprint like three comics in them i remember when they got the license to do jla avengers they also started panini put out a batman comic that was their same the marvel format but printing batman Mm. 
And then obviously Titan were putting out the DC graphic novels at that point. So they went, well, why have Panini got the like? We should we should have this. So the Batman Panini one didn't last that long. I want to say maybe two years max. And then suddenly Titan also started bringing out comics in the same format. That Exactly the same thing. They'd reprint like three three American comics, cardstock cover. And they did Batman, Superman, JLA. And then they started doing a Doctor Who one that was reprint like the IDW Doctor Who stuff. Oh, right. Um, okay. So then when they branched out into doing their own stuff, I think they just grabbed the Doctor Who license from IDW so they could print it in the UK and America. And that's why one of their launch titles was was Doctor Who. Oh, interesting. It's weird, isn't it? Because we've got... Um, I do kind of put them in the same boat as IDW in a way, mm. where it's like... Um, unless I've got... This is just my particular opinion. You don't really think... When you think of Marvel, DC, Image, you can think of some quite you know, notable titles or characters. Yeah. Uh, Titan and IDW, they give him, they're like workhorses. Like they're not really, you wouldn't really know them as famous in their own right, but they're always there putting out some good stuff and sometimes connected to stuff you didn't know they were part of. Yeah. Yeah. When I think IDW these days, I think Transformers, but they're losing that license now. And I'm very sad about that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, it's just come out recently that they've lost the license as of the end of this year. And I'm just hoping they've managed to finish the series of, of book reprints that I've been buying from them. <laughs> Get to the end of that series, otherwise I will have an incomplete collection. And I've got like 30 of those books, it's a bit stupid. I do feel for... It's like uh, the Transformers... I, I was a, a fan of Transformers when I was younger. Uh, and I feel like the Transformers comic uh, uh, fandom... Uh, and uh, I don't know what you'd even call it, like the the publishing output of it. Uh, I've, it's something I've never dipped my toe into, other than I think of picking up a, a weird, uh, a very unsettling uh, kind of 1980s Transformers British comic mm. when I was really young, which just freaked me the hell out. <laughs> the Marvel UK ones. The Marvel stuff was really good. IDW have had the license for 17 years. It's the longest, apparently, consistent run of Transformers Really? Where the, yeah, the, it's like the longest time anyone's had the license in print, longer than Marvel ever had it, and they've done some really good stuff with it. So it is, it is a shame. Yeah, because I, I think I, you know, we, we have there are people we know collect uh, together, PJ, like through the UK comic scene who now work on those titles and are, are kind of um, much loved by the fan base. So I yeah. hope there's a, I hope there's a place for them in whatever shuffling is coming is coming about well we'll see comics is a weird beast it really is it really is and uh yeah it's yeah titan and yeah sorry just before i forget titan are a uk are they a uk company i think so they it's i think now they've got an arm in america as well so like they've got their us comics but i think they also still do some of those reprint DC Comics, I think. I'm, I haven't checked the news agent stands for a while, so I might be wrong. And please do feel free to correct me, folks, if you know better. But yeah, I think they still do like their Batman Legends title or something like that. Well, uh, I, I was I, actually I thought I had a segue. It's just fallen out of my head. I don't have a segue, PJ. Um, but if if you'll pardon me, just hijacking the conversation entirely. Um, this this is a standalone issue written by Mark Miller. It is, yes. Do we want to talk about Mark Miller for a moment? I think if if we were ever going to, now would be the time. Um, we have alluded to this issue before mm-hmm. in, in previous episodes, and um, 
uh, have made kind of quite grandiose statements like this might be the best thing that Mark Miller's ever written. <laughs> yeah, we ha- we have said that. It is, uh, and spo- we'll get into it as the issue comes around, but it is um, quite shocking to me how un-Mark Millery this issue feels. Yeah, when I reread it last night, there was only one or two moments where I felt like Mark Miller crept in and went, by the way, it is me doing this. But the rest <laughs> of the time, it, it just... It, it didn't it feels a lot to me almost like a silver age story like a real throwback yeah yeah it's it's weird and you know it's it is actually kind of refreshing just to get a kind of one and done you know little story i mean which i mean god have we seen since since uh you know kind of like american dreams like volume two when we had like uh tomorrow tomorrow woman that sort of thing is that the last one shot we've had yeah i think it is yeah, yeah. Which is also, I mean, also, uh, you know, a, a great, a great little story. Mm. The the weird thing is, is that like I know, um, how was it? Like Morrison and Miller have a relationship that goes back quite a while, and this is where it gets a bit kind of like um, glossy magazine soap and gossip and drama and all that, but like. My understanding is that they're not currently on the best of terms. Right. And I think there was a time, well, actually around this time in particular, where they were quite close with Morrison acting as kind of like a, I think they would both agree, like a like a mentor and a, a guide into the industry for Miller. Uh, and then at some point they kind of fell out. And I know um, uh, I've read uh, 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 Morrison's uh, autobiography and they are... <laughs> They don't really hold back. They are they're they're pretty. They say some pretty scathing things about oh, Mark really? Miller. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's a weird one, really. I don't really know uh, how uh, how they fell out. It yeah, because around I think it's either around this time, just before, just after, maybe when they worked together on the Flash, and they'd clearly had conversations before miller wrote this issue because it ties into stuff we've just seen and stuff we're about to see in jla so they were clearly you know miller consulted with morrison before writing this i think and why the thing that the thing i find really weird is that like i we all know we now think of miller as one of you know kind of the big names in comics Mm. and uh, you know and and certainly you know if you were judging it purely on the basis of Oh, I don't know who's had the most adaptations, who's potentially made the most money off comics. You could argue he's maybe the biggest, perhaps. Yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, it's weird, uh, you know. And he's just always been there in my head. And it's you know, when when you're kind of younger and you're getting into kind of Western American comics, there's always you know, it was always the way for the longest time. You know, it's like we've well, got to read Morrison. You know, you've got to read Ellis. You've got to read Miller. You know, it was always kind of just like t- ticking these boxes of like these people who made comics um, with a capital M. But I guess the really weird thing is that like this is 1999 and I'm just trying to work out like, you know, where on earth was kind of Mark Miller at that point in his life? And I I think I want to say I'm looking at his Wikipedia page now just to get his age. I think he just turned 30 when this issue came out. Okay, because I think this is just before he became one of the big names as well. I'd say he really became a name with Ultimate X-Men, which would have been mm. the following year, I think, 2000. Um, so 2001, he, apparently. 2001, okay. 
So yeah, I don't think he was a big name at this point, but I think this is when you really do start to get the writer as a big name in comic. You, obviously, there were writers who'd broken out, Alan Moore, Frank Miller, where people knew their names, but a lot of other comics, I guess people still weren't really aware of who particularly maybe wrote them. I certainly didn't pay that much attention to who the creative team was at this point. And then you sort of start hitting the point where it's Bendis, Miller, Brian K. Vaughan, um, mm. And all these names that sort of start becoming Gail Simone as well, who just where you start learning their names and the writer becomes a big draw for comics. And I feel like Miller was in at the, the start of that. Yeah, very much so. And and it, it's interesting because I was a really, I don't know, it's a very, for lack of a better phrase, teenage boy kind of journey into comics. Mm. But like, um, obviously, books like the JLA, you know, the book we're going, we're revisiting now, really opened my eyes to comics, which were a bit, uh, a bit weirder, while also being kind of like blockbustery. Yeah. And then, of course, I did like you know the ver- started to branch out into the Vertigo stuff, and but I remember like um, the Authority being like the next, <laughs> I would have called it like adult comic that I got into after JLA. Hmm. And, you know, I was like, oh, my God, like, they're, they're superheroes, but, you know, they swear and they have sex and they murder people, you yeah. know. And um, and then, you know, I started to get my head around, like, well, who, who are the names? Who are the people writing these things? And, of course, it was Ellis and then Miller on, um, on, on The Authority. And I just find it really weird, uh, and I'm not doing a very good job of explaining it, to think that, like, in 1999... Mark Miller writes this issue at a time when he wasn't really the Mark Miller he would become and this big, big, big name. And then kind of like a, a year later, so between this and and the ultimate line for Marvel, mm. uh, he did The Authority, took over from Warren Ellis. And I think back to those those Miller issues of the Authority, which at the time I really loved. I thought these are edgy, these are weird, these are unsettling, these are adult, these are grown up. And now I look at them, and, and they do seem a little kind of juvenile in just how yeah. kind, how kind of aggressive they are. There's a real kind of like dick swinging to them. Yeah, if he's trying to prove something. I feel like that's kind of his mo, and has been from authority ultimate x-men did that too the ultimates is very much that and then his own stuff his creator own stuff so like kick-ass like the first kick-ass yeah that that's quite good as far as a pastiche of a superhero comic goes but then it didn't need a sequel and once you get into kick-ass 2 it's pretty gross the stuff he does in that book yeah it's is just hey look at me kids i'm being edgy and that that for me sums up what Mark Miller became. Yeah, and uh, there's a, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, you're right, I, right, and I, I'm, I'm aware that there, it could come across as that, like, um, oh, we're being like, oh, I don't know, snobbish or hoity-toity about it. But it is, it is funny when you look back at the things you maybe thought were cool as a younger person, and maybe some of them hold up, and and, and frankly, a lot of them don't nowadays and you know what what maybe you thought was somebody being kind of bold and transgressive was actually actually kind of being a little childish because it turns out that 
being kind of horrible and cynical is a good way to make a statement, but it's, I don't know if it's really a lasting one. I can't remember if I've said this on the podcast before, but in my head, Mark Miller, what he's become is Garth Ennis, but without any of the wit or heart. Yeah, and yeah, and and you know, just you know, if it, it does seem very from the outside looking in, a lot, a lot of his later kind of act, kind of products do seem quite cynical, mm-hmm. in, particularly with the director Hollywood kind of through line that he's developed like yes you know you i remember reading i think flicking through nemesis when it came out yeah which of course is like what if batman was a psychopathic murderer yay and you know it's like is this a book or is this a am i just holding the movie pitch yeah and of course that's you know um stuff is a is is option for a move his stuff is option before it's even made you know he can just announce the comic series and it's already got a movie deal it's wild yeah but i think that's sort of fallen away now a little bit because kick-ass 2 the film which was just not very good at all it didn't do that well and while yeah we've had the kingsman films as well there's been a diminishing returns with them too and i think maybe Hollywood's now sort of thinking, oh, this isn't quite working out the way it was supposed to. I, I don't, I might not, I don't know for sure, but I, I'm, I'm not aware of any of his other things that are currently in development. Hmm. Well, I guess the last big one was, um, oh, uh, Jupiter's Legacy, which was a Netflix series. Oh God, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, but that Didn't that, that get was cancelled. That was cancelled almost almost as soon as it dropped. Yeah. Actually, come to think of it. Yeah. It's a weird, it's a, it's a weird beast. I've heard, I've heard, of course, people say that you know, if you meet him in person, he's absolutely lovely. I've met him in person; he was delightful. <laughs> maybe we're the bad people, PJ. Oh, it's possible. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should just, I, you know, because clearly he is lovely in person, and it's just a shame he has to make so many rape jokes in his comics. Yeah, you know? I asked him about Sonic the Comic because I'm cool. Ah, oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I can't remember what I asked him or what he said now, but we, we had a brief conversation. Yeah. Well, I mean, given that we've um, spent a bit of time ragging on the guy, um, yeah, let's we... let's read something genuinely good that he's done. Yeah, let's 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 say some positive things. Um, but yes, this is uh, JLA uh, issue twenty-seven, which came out in March nineteen ninety-nine, and I don't know whether you know Morrison uh, needed. Uh, a break because we know that Howard Porter has been off for an issue or so and is is off again. So yes. you know maybe they maybe the regular team was taking a breather before they jumped back into something massive. I think I suspect that's what happened. Is yeah, Crisis Times Five is is one of the bigger JLA stories, isn't it? So yeah, and of course Morrison not long off the back of um, uh, DC One Million as well. Yep. So yep. I was going to say I don't know what they were. Uh, what they were smoking at that particular time to keep them so energised, but uh, I, I, I have to go and reread that chapter of the autobiography because they are quite open about it. Can you can you smoke Lucozade tablets? Does that give you energy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, PJ, surely you'd be, they'd be mainlining Iron Brew. <laughs> That's, yeah, they are. Yeah, they, they are from Iron Brew Town, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell we're both writers, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but yes, the uh, the JLA have uh, just had uh, a delightful run in with the U.S. military and the Ultramarine Corps. Uh, there was a little weird little uh, epilogue uh, involving our man, and then an intriguing prologue involving a kind of pink genie. And off the back of that, we open with a man in a lab. Yeah, and it just says this is this is a prologue. We're at Ivy Town University, and someone radios into the lab to say two visitors to see you, Professor Palmer, and it's good old Ray Palmer, the Atom. And PJ is. Ivy Town, a known place. I'm not sure. I'm I'm pretty sure it's fictional, and meant to just refer to like the Ivy League universities. <coughs> Sorry, the Ivy League universities, but uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. So, as far as we're we're aware, the atom. It, it was it a no, it wasn't a known fact at this point in continuity that the atom lived and worked in Ivy Town. I don't know. It's irrelevant anyway. I just, you know, I, I thought it was just one of those minutiae you would know. as a shrinking joke there. Um, anyway, so yeah, so um, somebody is trying to call him, but uh, Ray Palmer, the Atom, is busy, you know, and uh, he's uh, finishing the third year optics paper. So I think we can infer he maybe works at a university. Uh, uh, but it happens that it happens to be that the business in question, the people who need to see him, uh, is world-shattering superhero business, apparently. Yeah, and I do like his line as he walks out of his lab where he's he's saying, okay, show them in, but I'm not dealing with more cats stuck up trees or a stone student saying they saw a spaceship. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he, he appears to be walking out of a very futuristic uh, kind of sphere uh, across a long sci-fi kind of walkway, uh, I guess kind of just in a in a weird a weird little void of space. It looks all very sci-fi. And then uh he finally looks up and we are looking down at him through a lens. And yeah, as we as we kind of look across the page into the big reveal, we see that uh he is tiny, standing on a microscope, and uh looking down at him are the giant faces of the Flash and Green Lantern. Flash just says, spare a couple of minutes for the JLA. And I love that in this pa- on this page as well, it's a splash page. And it's it's such a dull image for a splash page, but it's so good. I love it. And uh, Kyle has a big old fast food drink as well that he's taken, <laughs> taken a big gulp from through a straw. Yeah. Uh, automatically, right off the bat, I am very happy that it's just Kyle and Wally because yeah. it's Kyle and Wally who, who doesn't love him. Um, and also, yeah, it's just a nice little touch that um, Kyle is just chilling out with a with a drink because yeah. you know it doesn't always have to be the end of the world no exactly and here we get the the title and credits so it's the bigger they come and then it's uh what i think is interesting here as well is no one's listed as guest anything it's just mark miller writer mark pajarillo penciler walden wong and marlo alkiza inkers ken lopez letterer pat garrahy colorist digital comedian separator Ali Morales, assistant editor, and Dan Raspler, editor. So our guest writer, penciler, and inkers are not listed as guest writer, guest penciler, or mm. guest inkers, which, you know, I just think is interesting because normally around this time they would be. I have to assume also that uh, given that we're probably looking at the same version of the book here, uh, is the pagination different? You know what I mean? So, like, if she, so if this were a floppy then this splash page would have fallen on the page turn 
on the left. Yes, it would. Yeah. You're right. So, yeah, we don't get that kind of uh, stunning reveal moment because it's already there. But, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful splash uh, regardless. Uh, and, yeah, we uh, we turn the page and... Uh, in a in a in a yeah, faster than a speeding photon, uh, Ray uh, grows back to full size and is shaking Wally's hand, and uh, you know is is very pleased to see him. Yeah, and clearly as well, last time we saw the atom in JLA was the Julian September two-parter by Mark Wade when he was still a teenager, and now he's clearly been aged back up to his normal age, so he looks like he's a man in his forties. Now, PJ, do we do we want to quickly go into that? Um, you know, the the briefest recap as to the the atoms kind of shifting age. Can you do it briefly? Um, he got turned into a teenager, then he got better, and he he actually joined the Teen Titans for a he bit. Did. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had a kind of uh, God love the nineties. Uh, he had he wore a jacket over his costume, and he cut the top of his Wongzi off, so his hair popped out like Cyclops. Yeah, because yeah, he was young and hip. Which is probably my just my favourite way of doing a superhero costume. It is I I love it so much. It's unreal. Also, I I just realised I said that's the last time we saw him. That's a total lie because he was in both Rock of Ages and DC One Million. But this is the first time we've seen him out of costume and can clearly tell that he is an older man again. Wait, wait, because Rock well Rock of Ages came before the Julian September case. Oh yeah, I'm, but you're I don't right. Know where one I million, am. He is in One Million, isn't he? Yeah, he, he goes inside um, Barbara Gordon's bloodstream to try and help fix the Owlman virus. And in case in case you were you were you know there's any doubt as to his age, he does refer to Wally as son. So yeah, yeah. You know, that's cool. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, he's clearly an old friend of Wally's. They've been working together for years. You know, uh, he's maybe had you know slightly fewer interactions with Kyle. Kyle is newer to the position, although getting pretty established now. And it's a really nice touch here because he says, um, "Good to see you. Good to see you, Kyle. I hear the papers have finally stopped calling you the new Green Lantern." Uh, to which Kyle says, "Yeah, it's kind of like being James Bond. Everyone hates you at first, and then they uh, they let off a little once you've saved the universe a few dozen times." Yeah, and then Ray follows up by saying, "We we had exactly the same thing when we came out as the JLA. People said we'd never measure up to the JSA, and I like that as a nice little touch." Just to say, you know, these are all legacy characters in one way or another at the end of the day. Well, yes, of course, because even the Atom, and I, I don't know if this is the direct um, kind of through line, but the mighty Atom was a member of the JSA, uh, a character who had no shrinking powers, but was just of kind of slightly below average height, I believe. Yeah. No, is that the same? Because the lineage of Atom... The Mighty Atom gives us Axum Smasher and Nuclon. Yes. But the, the Axum is not a, a continuation of that, is that correct? No, I, I, I want to say that, and I'm not as familiar with the Atom as I am with like the Flash and Green Lantern, but I want to say it was another one of those where during the Silver Age when DC started bringing superheroes out again, kick-started by Barry Allen being brought in as the new Flash, they just... They, obviously reused names and in some cases power sets and so ray palmer was just a new take on the atom mm. idea at that point like barry allen and hal jordan etc and is is this now uh, oh gosh i can't i can't i certainly can't remember the uh the name of this uh the mark wade is it jla year one yeah 
yeah. So is is at this point in history, are we working off in DC continuity? Is it going off the idea that the original League, the first iteration of the League, obviously didn't have Superman and Batman on it? Yes, that's correct. At, and was the Atom a member of that? Well, as as we know from the Julian September issue, which was written by the same writer as JLA Year One, the Atom was the seventh member to join. You're right. I should have remembered that. It's very hard to keep track of these things, Peter. This is why. I, this <laughs> yeah. is why I have you here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was. Uh, I think it, you get the original five, which is Flash, Green Lantern, Martian Manhunter, Aquaman, Black Canary. Then Green Arrow joins. Then the Atom joins. Mm. It's a very different. It's so funny. Like I, I've always been a Magnificent Seven kind of guy you know it's really mm. weird for me to think of the league being anything other um jla year one had only finished a few months before it, it basically ran through the year of 98 january to december so really oh gosh yeah. that's pretty current as well yeah yeah and then of course you factor in some of the stories that mark wade does mm-hmm. in this issue and that's actually really interesting i thought at this point in history year one was older but no god that's that's fascinating yeah jla uh, year one really good book i do recommend yeah god no i do need to read that one actually that's a massive gap in my in my library um but yeah we, we get a lovely just nice little kind of character moments here where you know wally is absolutely geeking out over the micro lab which uh uh ray has built kind of on a microscope, basically. Although it's probably not on a microscope. He can move it around. But he says uh, the school couldn't afford the extension he asked for. So um, he uh, basically created a tiny storage space where he can go and do his work. Yep. And it's it's brilliant as well because he says, you know, the, the dean doesn't like my methods, but they're working. I've put the answers to the exam paper in the lab and told the students, you know, they're there. They just need to figure out how to read them. <laughs> Um, and uh, and yeah, and uh, Wally and Kyle are clearly just quite impressed, even though one is the fastest man alive and the other con- controls the most powerful weapon in the universe. Um, and uh, yeah, but, but but Ray is kind of straight to business, and he says, "Look, you know, I'm 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 afraid the answer is no. I have no desire to rejoin the Justice League." And uh, you know, Wally's kind of surprised that he knew that's what they were going to ask, and. Uh, you know, Ray says, you know, for a community built on secrets, superheroes are surprisingly bad at keeping them. <laughs> Everyone's talking about the AGM in Hong Kong and Superman's idea to increase team numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And Kyle just says, well, aren't you even interested? And then we get a lovely shot. And this is beautiful work from Mark Pagarillo of like the classic Justice League of America. So you've got the five original members and then green arrow the atom is on the flash's shoulder and you also have zatanna elongated man hawk man and hawk girl and and oh it's it's nostalgia in in <laughs> a drawing and again we we talked last issue about um just you know how good mark padrillo is and uh i think he's very good at drawing i mean howard porter and mark padrillo are each bringing something very different to the series yeah i like them both um but it's like when i'm when I'm looking at like a Howard Porter page, I'm seeing something that is larger than life. Uh, I really actually, by contrast, like Mark Padrillo's physiques, like the way he kind of draws just a human because uh, yeah. the leaguers all look kind of like commanding and impressive, but they're not kind of bristling with muscles 
it's uh, it's really understated. I like it. Yeah, it's really really good. And and Ray says, you know, of course I'm interested. I loved being in the original league, one of the greatest honors of my life. But it's too much of a commitment, you know. It it being a full time superhero cost me my marriage, my job, and almost robbed me of my sanity. And we do get. It's a tragic image because it's the Atom's wife snogging some other guy in the front of a car while the Atom is tiny and seeing them. But he's in his Sword of the Atom costume, and I'm glad they slipped that in. Yeah, kind of like um, uh, Conan the Barbarian meets Ant-Man, for lack of yeah. a better word. <laughs> it is delightful. I mean, God, God bless comics for being so weird. Um, but yeah, so he's basically like, you know, uh, kind of... Um, flattered to be asked um but uh you know he's he's not gonna you know he's got a good deal going here he's not gonna he's not gonna ruin it um we do get some nice kind of touches where kyle and wally are really trying to convince him uh mostly because they want to see the tiny little floating table again (laughs) when he's at meetings um and we get a, a, a little cutaway where we see that a bunch of university girls are uh all kind of peeking in through the door uh to see two 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 members of the JLA just kind of hanging out with their professor, which is kind of a nice yeah. little touch. Yeah, and Ray here alludes to being with the Titans, saying he tried the group thing again, but it didn't work out, and he's realised academia is where he belongs. Then Mark Miller peeks into the comic as he says, four students have a crush on me, three of them are girls. So, I don't know, is that slightly homophobic? Might be, but it's definitely lettrous old man and three student age you know mark miller going that's cool isn't it let's all sleep with a 20 year old it's probably i mean i'm gonna say it was it was a different time it was a different time i know i know I, I it's probably one of those no offense was meant but yeah. at the same time i also feel not a lot of thought was given as to whether it might offend <laughs> i can i can let it slide it was a different time and as you say no offense was meant and you know it's fine whatever it's It's an old comic and i do like you know wally follows up with you know we were talking about an expansion your name came up a lot which seems fair which is cool and i i do and again on the sliding scale of mark miller things that is done a lot worse he's done a lot worse (laughs) but like um again it is actually some really nice dialogue in this scene yeah Uh, i like the way they talk like human beings it's really lovely um and yeah as you say it's just a really nice very down-to-earth way of saying, look, hey, it's cool, we understand, we've just been talking a lot about you, and clearly we all like and respect you, which is cool. Yeah. And we also get an absolutely amazing little panel of, again, Mark Padrillo, very yeah. good at tiny detail of Kyle and Wally racing away, and as two streaks of coloured light, and uh, it's just beautiful. It's really cool. Yeah, and then another little panel just of, of Ray's face, as he sort of thinks, well, that was that was nice, and you can you can see the gears starting to turn in his head as well. It's 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 wonderful work. So then we cut to the Florida Ever- Everglades. Almost choked my words there. Let me say that again. <laughs> then we cut to the Florida Everglades, and um, yeah, um, I, I love when you can just shuffle the the roster like this because we have Skeel, Wonder Woman, and Huntress. On site with some uh, military and kind of, um, I believe, kind of uh, Star Labs experts um, who have a bit of a conundrum because um, there's a, an Amazo, and I, I know it's a Mazo, but it's always, I just can't say anything other than Amazo. I know. Um, yeah, they found an Amazo 
and uh, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, they just found it, found on Amazon, you know, tripped over it, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's about to wake up in. It's going to wake up in sixty minutes with all the powers of the Justice League. I do like that Huntress says that, and Wonder Woman says current or classic, and Huntress is just confused, and Steel says old team or new team, Huntress. And uh, yeah, so I do like the idea that. Uh, once again, and I do, I do love this about this series when it's very much like these people are working professionals. Mm. Like Wonder Woman has actually battled, God knows how many Amazos over the years. So it's not like, oh my God, a robot with all our powers. It's just like, okay, what's his power set this time? Yeah, you know, <laughs> all business. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they, um, you know, they go to check it, uh, go to check it out, and. Um, uh, yeah, Huntress says that basically um, the military uh, were tipped off by uh, T.O. Morrow, who uh, presumably after being ha- having been arrested at the end of the Tomorrow Woman story, uh, basically decided to be petty and get back at Professor Ivo by um, basically ratting him out and telling him telling telling the authorities that he had uh, an Amazo stashed away somewhere. It is a nice little callback to the Woman of Tomorrow. Uh, just just that those two are still in jail together. And, uh, yeah, she basically says that Morrow got bored of Ivo boasting that Amazon was going to take out the entire Justice League and then break them out of Belle Reve and <laughs> dobbed him in just to spite him. Yeah, um, I do... It's, it's hard not to like uh, Morrow. Um, yeah. He's kind of an awful person, but uh, he does have a certain classic supervillain charm to him, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then I guess they go inside this mysterious mag scientist uh, facility, and um, yeah, there's 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 an Amazo on a table, and uh, they're like, uh, so Skeel, can you like turn him off or something? And what I like is it's the classic Amazo design, so like the the green trousers that go up to just below his chest and then a red skull cap on like a beige body because obviously last time we saw Amazo it was the mm-hmm. one in Aztec who had like the red weird red body that yes didn't he have like a skull face yeah skull face red body with like yellow bits coming off him and and yeah it was that's the only place I've seen that design uh, and I know it's been used in other places but for me this is the classic look for Amazo of course interestingly enough the last that that's a that's an interesting callback, PJ, because the last time we looked at a Mark Miller uh co-written thing on this series, it was Aztec the Ultimate Man. Yeah. And it, it was a it was a story that also featured Amazo. That's true. <laughs> Maybe Mark Miller really likes Amazo. I don't know. I mean, can you blame him? Amazo's pretty great. Yeah, yeah, he's he's basically I mean, I'll I'll have a bit of a soft spot for the super adaptoid, purely because yeah. I read a lot of vintage Avengers, but yeah, yeah, he's he, he looks ridiculous and amazing at the same time. <laughs> yeah, so Steel's saying that he doesn't know if he can deactivate Amazo. They can't get through his shell with X-rays. Um, there's too many defenses. Wonder Woman suggests teleporting him, but apparently he's been booby-trapped to Nuclean's entire state if he's moved at all. So Steel needs to disconnect the brain. Yeah, it's it's a nice. Uh, it's the the league rarely gets advance notice of a crisis, and even though the stakes are really high, um, I do like that they have, according to the clock, forty five minutes to work with. So it's not like blind panic. It's just like this is incredibly serious, but we have a bit of time. You know, we we can 
start formulating plans and stuff. It, you know, it's just a quiet professionalism, which I do like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but uh, as Wonder Woman starts giving orders, um, she tells Huntress to, uh, uh, you know, tell Oracle to uh, withdraw all personnel and to um, update our people in Tokyo. Ooh, I wonder who, what's going on there. Who could that be, PJ? Well, we cut to Tokyo and Bruce Wayne has arrived at a restaurant. Clark Kent is there and Clark Kent has a friend, a lady named... Uh, Hino Rei, who is from the Nihon Kisai Shimbun, Japan's largest financial newspaper. Yes, and uh, 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 Bruce Wayne is wearing a grey suit. Clark Kent is wearing a blue suit. Mm -hmm. uh, and this mysterious woman is wearing a green suit. Yes. <laughs> that, that might be completely unconnected. Yeah, and she says, how do you do, Mr. Wayne? And then Bruce leans in and whispers, the accent's flawless, John, but the name's a giveaway and I can still detect a little of your Martian body language under that disguise. <laughs> to which um, Jean says nothing. <laughs> Just has a, a little bubble with, with an ellipses in it. So this, this, this issue and a few others that are coming up confused me, or, or why I got confused about when Jean returns to active duty on, on the league much later on, because mm. I was all, well, he was never away because he's here in this issue. He appears in other issues. This one you can explain away easily enough. I think other writers just weren't paying enough attention, but this one is, he's he's not on active duty at the moment, but he can still do Justice League admin. Yes, and yes, because we, after the events, we don't see Jean during the shenanigans with the ultramarines do not we? at all no because that's right after dc 1 million yeah at the end of that storyline aquaman says that jean has re requested leave to go deal with the situation in south america particularly after montevideo yeah and that's when they bring in our man as, as jean's temporary replacement and then we do not after this issue we do not see jean again until a little standalone story at the start of World War Three. Yeah, but when he technically shouldn't be there. <laughs> technically should not be there, no. And, I mean, it's hard to say this isn't a mistake as such. Because, yeah, like, it kind of makes sense that Jean could just come back for a business meeting. Yeah. 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 Uh, my biggest question in this was always just like, how on earth do the, how on earth does the, the, the bylaws and rules of the JLA work? I, I am honestly just baffled as to why. Sometimes, well, at the end, at the end of Rock of Ages, it was, was it not Batman, Superman, and Aquaman? Yes, had the power to disband the League, and here it's Batman, Superman, and Jean apparently have the power to decide who will be on the league i my my theory on this is superman is the chairman so that's fair he's going to be there you know batman is the one whose opinion everybody wants because <laughs> he's got that old batman brain and then i guess as long as you have a founder which at the moment aquaman and jean are the only founding members on the justice league oh god yes so that's that's how I rationalise it. Uh, yeah, I just I I'm still in um, magnificent seven mode. 
Like uh, in my head, I somehow, you know, I'm always like, okay, well, clearly they're all, you know, each of the Magnificent Seven gets equal votes. I suppose technically like Wally and Kyle are, if not junior members, but don't quite have. I mean, you're right, though. Everyone will listen to Superman, basically. Yeah. You know, it's just interesting that, say, like Aquaman and Wonder Woman weren't in on this discussion. Although I guess Wonder Woman is technically dealing with a uh, the Amazo situation. Yeah. 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 Maybe they were busy. They might have just had conflicting schedules. Well, and I think last time it was happening when uh, Aquaman was um, with Batman and Superman at the end of Rock of Ages, Jean was busy trying to save Jem, son of Saturn's life. So <laughs> That's a fair point, PJ. Yeah, I guess they, they do all live quite busy lives. I actually, come to think of it, it must be a bloody nightmare getting them all together yeah. in a non-crisis <laughs> situation. They don't I mean, socialise. It's, it's, it's hard enough trying to arrange get-togethers when you're in your 30s. Yeah, yeah. You know, everyone has very busy schedules and we don't save the world. Well, even in this scene, they sit down. Bruce looks at his watch and says, look, I've got an 18-minute window, so let's get down to business. And uh, Jean tells the waiter that uh, they don't need food, they only have time for drinks. And, uh, yeah, they have all gathered to talk about the future of the Justice League. And this is a delightful scene it's brilliant it's brilliant i honestly love everything about this um <laughs> uh, so yeah so the big question they're facing is um should they recruit more people basically that's what it comes down to yeah clark says look our man said that we're facing invasion from the fifth dimension so i think it makes sense and and bruce is a bit more look that more members doesn't necessarily make us more effective where do we draw the line and they're all they're all making good points back and forth uh, about about whether they do need more people or whether they just need to get the current membership working properly together. They're the current membership is the best the world has to offer, according to Bruce. Yeah, and um, uh, and uh, Jean does raise the point that uh, if we are technically an elite, you know, response force, which is an interesting way of looking at the team, you know, like they're not. A military organization they're like thunderbergs you know they yeah they're the front line when when things go terrible um and jong says well look um you're the one who said we should have a convicted thief and a semi-legal vigilante on the team <laughs> um and uh bruce says well you know plastic man and huntress were selected because of you know their skills uh and um yeah, I think we can all agree they've become tremendous assets to the league since they uh since we gave um gave them a little bit of trust and Clark just replies with, you mean they keep an eye on the rest of us for you? And Bruce just gives him a quick, precisely. <laughs> and also, like, can we really be throwing around the phrase semi-legal vigilante? <laughs> I mean, like... <laughs> I mean, not really. In front of Batman? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I guess, like, John... John, it could be argued, is of a different planet and maybe, you know, not beholden to the same, the same laws, but, like... Um, I think everything the league does is on a slightly dubious legal legal fo- footing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then I, I also like the moment in a bit, in the next panel, where Bruce calls Clark Mr. Chairman, and Clark says, oh yeah, I am the chairman. <laughs> hey, I can give you orders. And Bruce says, well, of course you can, and I encourage you to start if only to see how far your authority stretches, because Batman doesn't follow orders. Uh Jean uh, tries to steer steer the meeting uh, and says, uh, look, uh, you know, we've all been talking about the atom. 
you know, uh, we couldn't have solved the Julian September incident without him. And at this point, when I read this book the first time, I had not read the Julian September case. And ah, I really, okay. <laughs> and I loved, I love, love, love it in comics when people refer to things I haven't read because it makes me feel like there's a bigger world than the issue I'm reading. Especially when the words that they use, like in the Julian September case, you're like, what the hell is that? Oh, yeah. And we'd never have found an antidote to the Hour Man virus yeah. without him. And I'm like, what the hell? This sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, but, um, but Bruce points out, pretty sure that Wally and Kyle have already found out he wants to stay at the university. And Clark says, well, yeah, but do we, we have a higher responsibility than that. And Bruce says, well, I agree. And I think the Atom is exactly the sort of person you should have on your team. And it's wonderful body language here because it could almost be said that um, Bruce is being a little uh, peevish. Yes. A little kind of standoffish. Like he, he's got folded arms. Uh, he is being quite negative, shall we say. Uh, and uh, Clark um, looks stern and says, Our team, Bruce. Frankly, I think you should know that these constant adolescent displays of independence are getting tiresome. Your peevishness is starting to have an, an adverse effect on the team. And then there's this brilliant... You can tell there's a small pause because you get the Batman huh, from <laughs> Bruce. And then Bruce just says... I almost thought you were serious. And Clark says, I've been practicing. <laughs> it's, oh, it is brilliant. And to, on these two pages, Miller shows that when he wants to, he can really get these characters. This is I, I this is some this is a brilliant scene. Yeah. I, I, I really just cannot sing its praises highly enough. Like it is it's warm. Uh, it displays the history and respect for characters. You know, they, they have an affection for each other, even if they don't agree on everything. Uh, it actually shows that he really gets the characters in a way that some of his later work does not. Yeah. It's stunning to me. I think it's because in his later work, he feels this need to try and subvert the characters unnecessarily. Mm. Whereas here, he is just leaning into what makes them work. I should also say as well, like, you know, it's a dense scene. Like, it's three pages long, uh, and yet there is an incredible amount of dialogue. You know, really, really packing it in when you consider that the, the whole issue, a standalone story, is only 22 pages. And yet, it doesn't feel crowded at all. The dialogue flows wonderfully. And it actually, you learn things about the characters. It actually moves the story forward. It, it, it really is great, actually. And... Yeah. You know, I, I've picked up some absolute stinkers from around this time. You know, yep. when you think of 90s comics and you think yep. of what everybody thought superheroes were. And honestly, like, I'd be quite happy showing this issue to uh, a doubter. And I would say, yes, it's big. Yes, it's silly. Big costumes. Daft villain. But, like, there's a little something more going on here. Like, this is, yeah, we're seeing three people have an adult intelligent conversation like this is is lovely yeah yeah and and again all three of them completely in character and mm. i i like as well that not many people could but clark is allowed to just very slightly needle bruce and bruce just lets him and almost enjoys it because well, they're exactly. equals well it 
it what it allows Bruce to have a sense of humor. Yeah. Which is something people forget. And it allows Clark to have a self-aware sense of humor as well. Like he's not just a big dumb boy scout. Like that's the thing you, you kind of assume that because he's nice that he's kind of simple. But he's yeah. a very He's an intelligent guy, Clark Kent. Yeah. He's Superman, for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, but sadly, the, the meeting is interrupted because Jean receives a telepathic alarm from Oracle, who basically says, look, we got bad news about Amazo. We He's coming online in 30 minutes. We need the whole team on site in case we can't deactivate him. Kyle and Wally are there. I've got the JLA reservists on standby as well because this could be bad. And yeah. Things are going down. Yes, and apparently, as they've been able to access Amazo's files, uh, he has all the powers of the current JLA, so super breath, divine armor, a power ring, elasticity. And uh, we see uh, that uh, in little pop-up windows on her screen, Oracle is talking to Captain Marvel, uh, Robot Man from the Doom Patrol, and Jack Knight, the current Starman. Yeah. yeah, but while she's uh, looking at them on another screen, Amazo has sat up and is got steel by the throat. <laughs> and then we get a, an amazing picture of uh, Amazo uh, blasting everybody with what I, I have to assume is is green Green Lantern yeah. energy. Yeah, it's that color, but depicted in oh, just the most kind of like kinetic. It's, it's an amazing panel. Like, the sense of movement is amazing. Is they're basically all just sent flying. Uh, it, it really, really energetic. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really... You can feel the impact. Like, it looks like the steel and Wonder Woman take the worst of it, but it, you know, Huntress just ducks out of the way because presumably that would have killed her. Probably would have killed her, yeah. Uh, I have to... I, 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 I'm choosing... It's the same problem with a super adaptoid. I have no idea how uh, a, a robot with the ability to mimic, would in any way be able to recreate a Green Lantern ring. Superhero science. Super. Oh, you're right, PJ. I didn't think of that. <laughs> um, but as Oracle uh, kind of looks at the horrifying footage, um, uh, she gets a call from uh, Professor Morrow online from Belle Reve. Yeah, and it, it, it's a lovely image of, of him just lying on his bed looking comfortable as he says, oh yeah, sorry, but um, I really enjoy trashing Ivo's plans, but at the same time, the thought of helping you just makes me feel seasick. So I didn't give you the right time scale as to when he'd be coming online. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I kind of lied. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so he wanted, he wanted them to think they still had half an hour they did not. Uh, and we see, uh, well, we see Amazo uh, punching Kylan Huntress. Uh, he has tongues of arrows stuck in his shoulder. So Huntress has been busy uh, just because he lets out an energy blast and the flash takes it straight in the chest. It looks brutal, actually. I'm, I'm assuming that's an Orion power, that energy blast. <sighs> yeah, I was wondering about that one. Hmm. Orion's the only one I can think of who who can blast energy that looks like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would have to be it, really. Yeah, or it's meant to be... 
<laughs> at a push, it could be uh, um, Zariel's divine shout, but coming out of a fisk. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's probably a bit unlikely. Anyway, Oracle call, calls uh, Morrow a sick freak, to which he responds, one tries Wong's best. And then we get more of the League arriving as both Aquaman and Plastic Man burst out of some nearby water. Aquaman grabs Amazo from behind and Plastic Man is a little fish who who spits water in his face. Uh, we have uh, Zauriel coming in, uh, screaming, wielding a flaming sword. I, I've got to say, I really like how um, P- Padrillo draws Zauriel. Um, yeah, Zauriel looks really cool in this panel. He looks awesome. We're gonna have a, another story coming up in a in a few months' time where you'll get to see more of a, a Padrillo Zariel. Mm. Uh, and yeah, as a kid, when I saw that, or as a teenager, I was like, "My God, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen." <laughs> but uh, sadly, Amazo grabs Aquaman by the ankles and uses him as a bludgeon to smack Zariel in the face, basically taking them both out and crying out that he is now 14 heroes in a single unit. He's the one-man Justice League. Uh, uh, and uh, before he can finish his sentence, uh, Plastic Man, as a kind of ball of, well, plasticine, smashes into the side of his head and says, Tired of looking like a frumpy middle-aged woman, I know exactly how you feel, girlfriend. <laughs> and as he turns into a, a kind of great big blob and kind of just oozes all over Amazo. He says, Ricky, give me a makeover to look like the kind of supervillain my husband will just beg to dance with again. Heggs up World War II, the Nazis have a new foe, and the gypsies call him Plasma- Plasmazo. 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 <laughs> it's some spectacular nonsense. It really is. It really is. As he tries to melt himself over Amazo. And to be fair, Amazo looks momentarily concerned. But, you know, then he just spins around at Superman speed and flings Plastic Man off him. Hey, hey. Or, or potentially at Zhong's speed. Or I guess even Flash speed. Or I guess even Flash speed. Or maybe he's just generating a green tornado using a power ring. Who knows? He's got so many options. <laughs> really? His powers are amorphous at best. Um, anyway, but... Uh, we get a badass picture of Jean just rugby tackling him, kind of, you know, faster than a speeding bullet. And uh, he, he, Jean looking pissed is always an absolute delight to me. Uh, and he says, uh, you might have our powers, but you'll never have our passion, robot. That's why you're going to fall tonight. And Pajarillo, like Porter, draws superb pissed off Jean. Oh my God, yeah, so good. Um... But uh, Amazo has uh, Zhang's telepathy, and he says, well, look, I'm reading your mind, Martian, and uh, I know that you don't even believe that. And, uh, yeah, and then he blasts him with Superman's heat vision. Yep. And this is this is the thing about Jean, why Jean is a, a hero. He's not. He's on a leave of absence at the moment, but because he was with Superman and Batman and suddenly lives were in danger, he just leaps into action anyway. Yeah, he's not even technically meant to be at work today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But then we get a, del- you know, just an amazing, like, millisecond shot of um, a pissed off Superman just punching Amazo, uh, Amazo away from Jean it's, as it's he like, screams, get away from him. It's a classic Superman shot, isn't it? Superman just giving him a left hook with all his strength and f- as he flies in, cape billowing, prominent S. It's brilliant. Great shot. 
Yeah, and again, uh, a, a testament to Mark Padrillo that um, he draws a Superman who is muscular but not over-muscled and yet just looks incredibly powerful. There's a real weight to the way he draws people. Yep, it's superb. Uh, Batman runs over to make sure Jean's okay and as they watch Amazo clobber the league, including Superman... Jean is basically saying we are in trouble. He has all of our strengths and none of our weaknesses. He's going to get a lucky hit. He's going to hit civilian populations. If we can't beat him with 14 members of the Justice League, we need to attack him with 35. And then he just says, bring them in, Oracle. And you get a wonderful small panel of Amazo standing over the fallen league, shouting at the sky, who are you supposed to be? Yes, to which we see... Uh, the cavalry. Uh, <laughs> this is a glorious panel. Okay, so when I saw this panel the first time, not being as familiar with the DC universe as I am now, I really had no idea who half these characters were. Oh, I think it was only like the third time I read this issue. I was like, oh, okay, I know who they all are now. <laughs> well, I think, therefore, that we have the Ray. Yes. Animal Man. Yep. Mr. Miracle. Yep. Obsidian. Yep. Light Ray. Yep. I mean, like, having a couple of new gogs there is <laughs> quite a pull. Uh, Elongated Man. Uh-huh. Aztec. Yep. Our old buddy. Power Girl. Yep. Captain Atom. Mm-hmm. Blue Beetle. Mm-hmm. Firestorm. Yep. Booster Gold wearing his 90s extreme justice armor. Yep. Fire. Mm-hmm. Jade. Mm-hmm. Creeper. Yep. Black Lightning. Yep. And the guy whose name... Bloodwind. Bloodwind. Who... Jean was at some point. Yeah, Bloodwind's confusing, but there were two Bloodwinds. And one of them was actually Jean or okay. something. Well, yeah. Uh, and and uh, swinging down from uh, uh, his his beetle ship, uh, we have Blue Beetle. Leading uh, the charge. The guy he, without powers is leading. Yeah. Um, I, I like Blue Beetle. Uh, he's kind of a maybe a poor man's Batman. Yeah. Um, but yeah, swinging in, carrying a gun. What is it with the creative team on this series where they seem to love Blue Beetle? Like they sneak him in whenever they can. Because he's a lot of fun? <laughs> yeah, I guess he is. He has gadgets. He's a gadget hero. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, and he says, haven't you heard, Creep, the JLA just tripled in size? I would love to know how many of these characters Miller specified and how many Pajarillo just chose to throw in. Like... Blue Beetle, that's probably a given. He's the one with the dialogue. I'm guessing Aztec was specified because obviously Miller co-created him. But then how many of the others would just draw who you want? I kind of wonder, like, how much editorial control was there over who was actually available to appear in this yeah. shot? Yeah. Because, and we will get there, there are there's at least one group shot in World War Three coming up, which egregiously puts Jean in when Jean is technically in another dimension at yeah. that time. Yeah. So, like, it's an easy mistake to make, but I bet, like, if you knew these characters intimately, you could say that, like, 
Well, how is elongated man there? He was he was trapped in the second dimension at this point in time or something like that. <laughs> yeah, probably. Although I think it's easier when you're just doing a one and done story because it's easier to fit that around everything else that's going on in the six months around it if you need to, isn't it? It's maybe a little kind of questionable that we have two new gogs here. That's given true. What's kind of going on there at the moment, but you know, it's not the end of the world. I'm I'm not gonna complain about Mr. Miracle showing up in anything. Nice to see Animal Man. Yes. I mean that's basically the most Morrison pull you could yeah, you could I think, do, really. I think that's the biggest surprise that Animal Man's first appearance in JLA wasn't when Morrison was writing it. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good that's a good point actually. Oddly enough, apparently, according to the Wikipedia page, which is as deep as my research goes, uh, Miller and Morrison met when Miller was interviewing Morrison for a zine about the Animal Man series that Morrison was writing at the time. Oh, okay, cool. There you go, small world. Uh, but yeah, we got a shit ton of heroes, and Padrillo does a really good job of drawing them. Uh, particular shout out to the way Padrillo draws kind of crackling energy uh, because Firestorm's head looks incredible. Yes. Yeah, it does. I think Padrillo draws, draws all these characters beautifully, to be honest. I think they're all done. They all look superb. Yeah. Really and then, good. And then you get an amazing panel of the new reservists just wailing on Amazo with various powers. Like, Power Girl is punching him in the stomach, Bloodwind's shooting energy blasts out of his eyes while Captain Atom blasts him from his fists, Booster Gold's firing at him, Black Lightning's got a his his powers crackling, just un, ready to unleash a blast, fire's hitting him in the back of the head. It's brilliant. And Kyle's sort of on the floor going, what's happening? <laughs> As well you would. Uh, and as the, uh, the the injured leaguers kind of pick themselves up, um, there's a horrible dawning suspicion that uh, Amazo seems happy about this, despite being outnumbered. And um, we see him displaying new powers because, yeah, wouldn't you know it, uh, he can apparently mimic the powers of any leaguer he comes into, uh, comes into contact with. And yeah, so you get... This brilliant, it's one line from Steele to explain it. It's simply, I think this upgrade Professor Ivo was boasting about can adapt at a conceptual level to confront whatever Justice League exists to fight him. Scientifically, this makes no sense. But, you know, <laughs> that line will do me. And the worrying uh, extension of that thought is that um, by making the team as big as they have, um, they may have just turned Amazo into a god. Yeah. And Amazo is now really big, uh, which I have to assume is just a consequence of absorbing that much power. Uh, I, yeah, I get the closest to size changing, I think, would be Elongated Man. But I'm not really familiar with Bloodwind's powers, to be honest, either. So that might be in there somewhere. But, but yeah, Amazo's huge now. And, uh, yeah, and uh, again, an amazing sense of movement kind of sweeps a colossal arm through the waters and uh sends leaguers flying it's uh it's delightful yeah and then we cut to essentially a panicking oracle who has no idea what to do and she's got other leaguers radioing in reservists like captain marvel the doom patrol dr light starman all radioing in to say look we're ready to go and she's there going but i, I can't send you in but i need to send you in oh god and uh and then something pops out of a speaker 
tiny little speck, <laughs> and we see the atom in costume, who goes, relax. Figuring things out is what I do for a living. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And uh, yeah, we cut to the battlefield, which is strewn with the kind of unconscious bodies of leaguers. And uh, the Axum's like, uh, yeah, you need to get get me down there. Uh, radio me to um, the Flash's, uh, the little radio unit in his wingtip, which is cool. <laughs> yeah, so the Atom just leaps out of Flash's ear, basically. He says, look, we can't match powers with Amazo. That's a waste of time. But I think I've got a plan. And only one man has the authority to help me do it. And so Atom leaps out, and then you see someone calling to Amazo who turns around saying, hmm, one still stands. And of course, it's Superman. Who is, again, again, small details, amazing art. Um, it's just kind of floating in, a, in an iconic dark way behind Amazon, deep in shadow. You Cape forget billowing. Super- yeah, you forget that Superman can be intimidating sometimes. <laughs> and... Um, we get a close-up of his face, and one eye is kind of bruised and swollen shut, and he's bleeding from his lip and nose, which is, you know, bloody hell. It's Superman. Yeah. Uh, but he does have a tiny little atom standing on his shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, and I love that he takes the time to just say, thanks again, Ray. And the atom just says, yeah, cause and effect, <laughs> Superman, action and reaction, physics 101. And then, <laughs> it's so stupid, Superman shouts... Listen closely, Amazo. As chairman, I hereby proclaim the JLA is officially disbanded. <laughs> and Amazo loses all his powers. <laughs> yeah. And Amazo uh, looks absolutely horrified, starts shrinking, and just collapses uh, <laughs> onto the floor. He, he manages um, to get out a little, oh no. <laughs> and um, again, just a brilliant moment and um i it's sad to me but we superman doesn't get the opportunity to be sarcastic very often and he goes you know adam i've been thinking about offering you a seat at the table again but after this experience i think we can both see how you'd never contribute anything of value <laughs> <laughs> to which adam says i was thinking the same thing but apparently flash doesn't get sarcasm he's like wait but i thought and, and batman just goes look flash shut up <laughs> It is, it's an absolutely sublime moment. Like, um, it's so nice to see Superman being allowed to be a human being. Yeah. Like, I, I do love it. Yeah. And and then Batman basically says to the Atom, look around, look at all these wounded people who might have died if you hadn't been here. There are those beyond your campus who would benefit from your instruction. And then Mark Miller has to slip back into the comic because we also have Power Girl saying to Plastic Man, no, I don't want to know why they call you Eel. Yes, poor Power Girl, who basically exists just to be hit on by every every horn dog. Um, yeah. Oh well. But I will say, even Power Girl, yeah, she's got the boob window. That's her costume. But even she isn't sexualized in Pajarillo's artwork. If if anything, her there's no easy way to say it, is that her boobs are smaller in this comic than I have ever seen them be in any comic. I do. Here's a weird thing. I do. I do really, really, really remember reading an early piece of comics journalism 
which I think was reviewing this very issue. And they actually said they applauded Pajarillo for not drawing women as super uh, supermodels with yep. ridiculous proportions, but, but then criticised Pajarillo for taking it too far and not giving the women any hips or breasts. <laughs> I don't think that's fair. I think they just look <laughs> no. like women, to be honest. Yeah. Like even, well, even Wonder Woman, who is also normally drawn as quite busty, in this issue, isn't. And and yeah, I I, I like that Pajarillo doesn't overly sexualize them, even when they're wearing swimsuits and boob windows. Yeah, and also it's like you know you could have at, at this point in history you could have also picked up a copy of say Young Blood. Mm-hmm. You know, believe me, there's. There, there, there's enough tits and bo- to go around, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, but uh, you know, Axum doesn't say uh, doesn't say yes as such, but he does say, "Hmm, does everyone on the team still have to do monitor duty?" To which Batman smiles and says, "What do you think?" <laughs> Implying that Batman doesn't. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, you just get Kyle in the background going like, "Hey." How come they don't get monitor duty? <laughs> uh, ah, wonderful. Then we cut back to the moon and the JLA are in a meeting and oh look, there's a tiny chair hovering over the table. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. I love it. And uh, yeah, the Axum is uh, delivering his kind of a kind of narration, shall we say? And uh he says, uh, he basically goes, well, you know, I've got my new students and, uh, you know, they're definitely on the, uh, you know, they're likely to graduate, shall we say. You know, Skeel could probably even teach me a, a lesson or two. Um, but he says, yeah, you know, teachers should always learn something from their students. Uh, but, you know, the stakes are very high. Uh, here, the term papers push back the frontiers of reality. Here, the final exams decide the fate of the planet. And I'll do all I can to ensure they never get an F. And then we get a wonderful final panel, PJ. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's almost half the page, and it's just the Atom in full costume, sitting in his little floating chair, his, his hand holding up his chin, just resting his face on his hand as he says, As for my costume, I'm just wearing it for their benefit. Really? Night school on the moon. I doubt I'll have any fun here at all. <laughs> the end. Next, Crisis Times 5. And honestly, after that, it's almost a shame we don't see Atom uh, for the next story. In fact, we don't see a lot. Do World we see War three. any of that? World War 3. Is he in World War 3? Yes. Am I going mad? I mean, maybe I've gone mad, but I'm, I'm sure I remember Atom being in World War 3. Uh, he is also, I think on the team for Heaven's Ladder, which is like the prestige one-shot that came in between World War Three and Mark Wade's first issue. It was like Mark Wade and Brian Hitch's first JLA story oh, between God, yes, issues. Yes. And Atom's on the team in that as well. So, yeah, he's he's a part-time leaguer, but he's there. Yeah. And, and, and um, thinking of a later run, uh, when uh, after, after Wade when we had uh, Joe Kelly and mm. various artists, but mostly Doug Mank. Uh, the accent was quite a staple of the team there. And uh, yeah, he was, he was a wonderful presence on the team, actually. 
He's definitely around for JLA Avengers too. He certainly, oh God, yes, he certainly is. Which came slightly after that, I want to say, because didn't Busick take over from Joe Kelly? I think there was a bit of a gap between uh, JLA Avengers and Busick's JLA run. Um, yeah, Busick was after Joe Kelly. I think JLA Avengers, it was certainly in the planning stages during Mark Wade's run, because I remember how it was announced, and it was this thing where if you were collecting both Avengers and JLA, you got it straight away, because in the same month, they both had boxes on the, at the end of the letters page, and like the Avengers one was, um, we're going to be at this con. Uh, Kurt and George are both going to be there, as is superstar writer Mark Wade, so don't forget to come to this convention. And then the JLA issue was, we're going to this con. Mark Wade's going to be there, as is superstar writer Kurt Busiek and superstar artist George Perez. And that's when he went, oh, okay, I see. And that's in the con where they announced it, and it was during Mark Wade's run on the book because Mark Wade was originally supposed to co-write JLA Avengers. Really? Yeah. Oh God! Wow. In fact, the original plan was that it would run through the the books Avengers and JLA. It would be in the main comics, but then there were legal reasons they couldn't do that in the end. Seriously? Oh my God! Because thinking about it, um, when Busick began his run on. JLA, which I did, I did, I've got the trade for because mm. I was excited for it because obviously I love Busick's run on Avengers and the first story he did for JLA uh, directly picked up from JLA Avengers. Yes, uh, and although they they the only reference to it was AXA, you know, the JLA uh, recently saved the universe with help from an outside source. Yeah, and I think at one point Superman says, "Well, we had some help." Yeah, and uh, and also that saw the return of the crime syndicate. Yes, not a great story though. I have to say, I haven't reread it to be honest for a long time. But but so yeah, that's that's how that all came about. But I think then, of course, JLA Avengers it gave George Perez it it really damaged his wrists with the amount mm. of work he was doing on it. So there were heavy delays. So I think the fourth issue didn't come out until well into Joe Kelly's JLA run. Well, yeah, because oddly enough, we've we've talked at length about them, but uh, you know the UK Panini collectors editions, yeah, which were you know historically um, printing American comics that were you know maybe three, four, five years behind schedule. Um, they actually shifted to printing JLA Avengers pretty much simultaneously because they had a, a kind of special deal with it, and I remember that due to Obviously, the tendonitis that caused George Perez to uh, kind of, uh, you know, have to take a, a, a break to recover. Uh, the Avengers Panini title at the time uh, basically shifted to reprinting classics for about six or eight months, however long it was. I think you it know, was only about three or four months for the oh, UK really? Avengers book, because I think it was about two months behind JLA Avengers. Um, ah. But yeah, certainly it was it it was not reprinting the current Avengers run because it, but it was also not able to carry on with JLA Avengers. I think that's also the reason issue three of JLA Avengers has hundreds of characters on the cover, and then issue four has one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, God, like, yeah, it's. I guess if this, you know, if if we're bringing up George Perez, we should we should maybe, of course, you know, mm. you know. I, won't go, won't go into too much detail because I'd, I'd hate to speak 
um, with a, a lack of authority on. You know, I, I've read uh, George's statement, but obviously uh, tremendously sad. And uh, yes, uh, you know, we obviously send our not, not that he's listening, but we send our kind of love and respect to to him and his family, and I guess our gratitude for doing such amazing work. Really, yeah, one of my all time favorite comic artists. Definitely. He, he's, you know, New Teen Titans, Crisis on Infinite Earths, Wonder Woman, Avengers, JLA Avengers. You know, every single book he's touched has been just stunning to look at. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, and a level of detail. Yeah. That I've, I'm trying to think. It's almost unmatched, I would say. Just astounding. I, I don't, hard to actually think of a diff- another artist who could have actually done JLA Avengers. Yeah. Yeah, and like known for being able to put so many characters on in one image. Like you, you look at that JLA Avengers issue three cover. The cover he did for the when DC released a Crisis on Infinite Earths trade in, I think it was the early two thousands, and he drew a new cover for it or penciled a new cover for it that then got painted over by Alex Ross. But it was George Perez's pencils. Oh, interesting. there's, There's so many characters on that as well. You. It's ridiculous how many I've characters s- he put on that cover. I've seen that cover. Oddly enough, I didn't realise that that was uh, jo- uh, George's uh, pencils underneath. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, one of the few times Alex Ross has pens- uh, painted over another artist's pencils. Well, PJ, on that on 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 that random note, I suppose. Uh, what do, what are your thoughts on this issue? Now we've reached the end. It's it. I really enjoy it. It's so much fun. And it feels to me in so many ways like a Silver Age throwback. Like mm. the way the League defeat Amazon. It's stupid, but it feels perfectly <laughs> in keeping with some of those classic Silver Age stories. And and in the context of the story itself, it all just works. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like it is, you know, it is ridiculous. And I, I think if you, if you try to dive too much into it, I, I think, frankly, if you... If you were a, a scholar of um, Amazo appearances, I'm, I'm not even sure it would make make much sense in continuity. To be honest, like, how does why would the most modern version of Amazo be, you know, vulnerable to that when previous ones weren't? But uh, it is it is great. Yeah. Like, it's unashamedly a superhero story. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's not ironic or snide in any way. Like, it's it's just so honest and heartfelt. It's it's really lovely. Yeah, agreed. And and with clear reverence for the characters as well. This is this is Mark Miller before he had to go dark and and I don't know ruin things. Mm. <laughs> that might be too harsh, but yeah, this is this is Mark Miller just reveling in what these characters are. And I know Miller does have a genuine love for the character of Superman. I, I think I read somewhere that he even owns one of the capes that. Christopher Reeve war in the movies uh, that wow. he, he bought in an auction or something, but which just makes me wonder, well, why do you have to keep on trying to, you know, subvert him and pastiche him, Mark? Just write good, honest Superman, because you clearly can. Yeah, and it's weird, isn't it? Because I I guess I guess he kind of came to prominence in an era where it early two thousands, late nineties, mm. I mean you were kind of rewarded if you were an edgy guy making edgy content. Like, I, I think that's what we we felt we needed at the time. Yeah. Um, and you do wonder how much that kind of just, you know, 
cast a shadow over the rest of his career. Maybe he's felt he's always had to kind of just up the shock factor every time to still be relevant. But, yeah, you know, you do see, um, I haven't read it personally, but I think uh, I think he did an image, maybe in an image series called Starlight in yes. recent years. Yeah, I, I think I read the first issue of it. Yeah, which I, I think, I remember people saying at the time was almost like Miller kind of like trying to like respond to some of that criticism, like trying to write a more kind of heartfelt and honest and, you know, less cynical kind of story. But I haven't read it myself. I, I don't know if he's he's now taking things in a different direction. As I say, I only read issue one and I didn't read any more because I'd, I'd picked it up because I'd heard that's what it was, that he was trying to do something, as you say, just a, a bit more, a bit lighter. And mm. honestly, I was a bit, eh, it was okay. But mm. it didn't make me want to pick up the next issue. Yeah, Jup- Jupiter's Legacy, I thought, was a bit of a mess, if I'm honest. I- I've got the first volume of that. I, to be honest, I-, I think if it weren't for uh, Frank Quitely's artwork, mm. I don't think we'd even talk about it as much as we do. I've still got my first volume of Kick-Ass, the first series, which I I think there's some good stuff in there. I think there's some fun stuff in there. I don't rate all of it. I think the only reason I've kept that one, though, and got rid of the other kick-asses is because that one's signed to me by John Romita Jr. So. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I mean, I, I reread Wanted a, a couple of years ago, and mm. that's not a book that has aged well. No. Very no. ugly kind of sentiments in there. Um. Which again just makes it so baffling that this is such a lovely story. Yeah, like it's really, really delightful. Um, yeah, it's. It, I'm wondering if it might even be my favourite guest story. Oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? That is a tough one. Um, I, I know. I think more highly of the previous Mark Wade stories we've already looked at than you do. I think I would put. Maybe the Adam Strange one above this. I think Julian September, I love the ideas, but the execution probably is below this storyline. But then we've got the couple of Mark Wade and Devin Grayson issues coming up that I really like as and well. They're re- and they're really good. Yeah. <laughs> like, I really like those as well. And actually, there's a, a really great uh, standalone story within World War Three. I think that's J.M. DiMatteis it is. wrote that. It, it is. And... I, I'll be interested to revisit that when we get yeah. there in, in this read-through because I, I, that really stood out to me when I was younger reading it. You know, Had you... Because like, that that's the Day of Judgment tie-in issue yes. as well, isn't it? Had, were you up on Day of Judgment at that point or did no, you just I, read that had, issue in isolation? I had no idea. I'll be honest with you. I didn't even know who Hal Jordan was at the time. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. I um Again, World War Three was the first DC book I ever read. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, oh, wow, who's this uh, Green Lantern character, Kyle? He's got cool hair and an awesome <laughs> ring. I like his powers. But then I'm like, who Who on earth is this Hal Jordan guy that everyone's talking about? You know, Ky- Kyle's Green Lantern. Yeah, that issue does have one moment in it that always comes back to me that I think, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. And there's actually, weirdly enough, there's a line by Jean in that issue then honestly, just as as the kids say, lives in my head rent free. <laughs> like I, I, 
that it's it's literally always there. I think about saying it sometimes, you know, if I can find the context. It's great. <laughs> well, don't say it yet. We'll wait until we get to the issue. We will get there in time. We're only two months away from it? No. Four uh, months away from it. We're a fortnightly podcast. Yes, we are. And I think next issue, we're going to do our special... Um, a special wizard, yes, wizard thing, yes. Episode fifty of the JLA cast, and uh, we're going to have a look at the wizard JLA special from ninety nine, ninety eight, I think it was. Um, yes, which I, I am, I, I have yet to track down a digital copy of, but I'm sure it can be done. If, if I have to take photos of every page and send them to you, that's what I'll do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, PJ. Honestly, listeners, PJ is uh, is just an absolute saint at this sort of thing. Like, uh, you even you even tracked down a magazine, like a physical print magazine, which he bought with his own money, and he posted it to me a few months back. That's how kind he is. He's I'm a, a nice he's a, guy. He's good people. <laughs> um, PJ, is there is there anything is there anything more to be said about this issue? Uh no. I think it's just a fun story. It doesn't change the world or in, in any ways or anything but it's a it's a, a writer doing some of his best work it's a superb artist doing some amazing stuff you get a whole bunch of fantastic guest characters who even though it's just glorified cameo appearances brilliant to see them all and yeah it's it's a really really fun issue yeah i i i i, I have nothing to add i will just second everything you said it is it's a real standout and uh yeah, and and a highlight of the series, frankly, it's it's lovely. Yeah, and you know, it made the cover of the trade. Amazon is there on the cover of this trade, like the last two issues in this book. They don't make the cover. That's very true, actually. Yes, for a standalone story, it clearly had a bit of an impact. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hmm. Well, with that in mind, and if if we have said everything there is to be said. Um, I guess it falls upon me to say a massive thank you to Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover artwork. And uh, another huge thank you to Elliot Red for composing and performing our theme tune, Justice. And if you enjoy hearing PJ and I ramble on about stuff, you can find us on the various social medias. Our details are in the description. Um, And PJ, yeah, um, I guess... Uh, go us Congra- uh, congratulations to us for reaching this big milestone which we're about to dive into 50 episodes who'd have thunk and also if you count the zero episode we then did this was our 50th this was our 50th yeah man we we number like comics we're weird i know it's wild i mean we and we're storming ahead frankly i mean uh <laughs> you know uh episode 100 is just around the corner oh my god don't scare me like that. <laughs> the, the relentless march of time. <laughs> uh, to, on which note, I should probably um, get my bike ready for heading out into the cold, dark evening. Um, PJ, this has been an absolute pleasure. Is there, is there anything you'd like to shout out about before we disappear? Uh, I'm, I'm going to do one of my occasional shout outs for my other podcast, The Measure of a Fan, uh, in which myself the aforementioned Elliot Red and stand-up comedian Matt Troy watch and discuss all of Star Trek chronologically. Elliot's never seen it before. We're having fun with that. We just watched a few good episodes of Enterprise in a row, <laughs> which surprised us all. So uh, please do check that out wherever you get your podcasts. That's the measure of a fan. I would be so grateful if you were to listen. Yeah. No, again, PJ PJ is good people. Please go. Please go and check it out. Send some love. Um. 
Well, yeah, in which case then, uh, PJ, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, if you wouldn't mind doing the honours and seeing us off in your own unique fashion. Uh, the JLA cast is officially disbanded. No. No.